want to welcome you to the great Mission Ebenezer Family Church. Um, there's no church around like this place. We serve a faithful God, and um, if it's your first time here at Mission Ebenezer, I hope more than anything, uh, when you leave this place today, you feel the love of Jesus and the love of his people. To me, that's the most important thing, is that you can um, know that we have all been transformed by God's love. Amen? Um, because if we as Christians just go, go around putting on airs, making it seem like we got it all together, uh, we know that we would all just be fake. We know that there wouldn't be any true change taking place in our lives. And the lasting or the work that, that we do in God's name would not be a lasting work. But it's only because of what God has done that the work that he does in us is a lasting work. Amen? Amen. So, so God bless you if you're here for the first time or if you're new to mission. We pray that you continue to get to know the people get to know the things that our ministries have going on so you can grow um, and you can be in fellowship with people who are of the same spirit. Um, <clears throat> today, um, I'm going to be teaching out of the book of Luke, chapter 11. And in this great gospel, gospel means um, good news. And so this, this book um, called The Good News written by uh, a man named uh, Luke. Um, I'm going to take an excerpt out of this book. It's written by Michael Browder, who was my father's roommate at Harvard University and pastored a Baptist church in Virginia. And when I was playing for the University of Florida Gators back in 1998, I was able to visit his church and share my testimony and actually preach a little sermonette. Um, and I wore my uniform to their church. Um, and, uh, but Mike has been like an uncle to me and my brothers and still good friends to my mom and dad. Anytime he's in the area, he stops in Los Angeles. I even picked him up from the airport one time and took him for Mexican tacos there in, uh, the Westchester area. Um, but he's a great man of God. Um, he's, uh, been retired from the pulpit, but he continues to do ministry, speaking and writing. And this book is called The Life of Jesus for Lent. And so I'm going to be uh, using uh, this book and preaching out of the fourth Sunday of Lent. And if you're interested in this book, please come and see me and you can order this. Basically what Mike has done, it's, he's taking scriptures um, from the life of Jesus leading up to the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And so this whole book is really all about the Bible. It's pure scripture. And then at the end of each day, he gives us a number of questions that we might consider and contemplate um, and reflect on where we are with the Lord and how we might need to make some changes in our life. Uh, so it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to be teaching out of Luke chapter 11. And in this particular passage, I think you're going to appreciate this passage today because um, if anybody were to go through the Bible and pick out their favorite scriptures, Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54, is probably not going to be one of your favorite scriptures. Uh, 
You know, our young ladies from our Spanish ministry, and they're, they're, they're mixed in our, our English ministries as well, but um, they brought some of their favorite scriptures. And wasn't that awesome to hear from our youth? Uh, Sandy, I don't think you're one of the youth, but uh, it was great to hear from one of the youth leaders. But Mary did a fantastic job. Um, <laughs> Mary and her husband, um, Aaron Trejo, they're leading our Spanish youth. Um, and you guys know we're Spanish and English, but we're one church. Amen. Um, and so Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54, probably not going to be your favorite scripture. All right. And, and you're going to see why when we read it. But what I think you are going to appreciate about this scripture is the fact that we are not handpicking and selecting scriptures that are just going to tickle your ears. Amen. I think in the, in, the, in the church, in the word of God, we are responsible to both the, the whole scripture, the canon, from Old Testament to New. And we're going to see in this passage how Jesus married both the Old Testament principles with the New, New Testament principles of grace and love and mercy that Jesus taught about. But we can't neglect the Old Testament just because we have the New Testament. The Old Testament, you guys, is simply the books that were written about God and his people before Jesus was born. After Jesus was born, there was a whole new collection of books in the first century that were written by men of God that primarily were focusing on writing about the birth life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why for us as Christians, as believers, the New Testament means so much because we want to, to grow and we want to be like Jesus. And, and we're so thankful for what Jesus has done for our lives, as Pastor Danny so wonderfully stated. Right? And, and, and we see that, oh man, the New Testament is where I want to hang my hat. I want to spend the majority of my time. No, it's important for us to know and read and study both the Old Testament and the New. And Jesus in this discourse, in his conversation with some Pharisees, Pharisees were simply teachers of the law. They were teachers of the Jewish law. Okay, you can also refer to them as lawyers. They were the smartest of, of anybody in, in, the, in Jerusalem or Judah. Um, and they were raised in the word of God. They were instructed in the word of God. And because they had so much knowledge in the word of God, they, they became a little puffed up. And because they had so much knowledge in the word of God, sometimes it was very easy for them to look down on others. As a matter of fact, because they studied the law of Moses or the Torah, that's what the Jews called the first five books of the Bible. Um, they call it the Torah. Another word for it is Pentateuch. That's just the Greek way of referring to the Torah. All right. So we see that the, the, these Pharisees, or religious leaders of the day, they worshiped the law of Moses. They worshiped it to a point where they began to worship the word of God more than they worship God himself. And we have to be careful as Christians. If you consider yourself a Christian, if you've known the Lord for a while, it's so important for us to make sure that we don't worship the word of God over God himself. That we don't become so religious that we um, become part of a relig religiosity movement. Religion is important. We fall under that category when it comes to our faith. 
Because where faith and practice meet, that's where you have religion. We've heard many movements and many, you know, people say that, you know, it's not about religion, it's only about relationship. Well, if you've walked with Jesus for some time, you know it's about both. But the most important is the relationship with Jesus. What I want to get us to understand today is you cannot throw the baby out with the bath water. You're like, I've never heard that saying, Pastor. What does that mean? It means after the baby's water is dirty, you throw the dirty water out, but you don't throw the baby out with the dirty water. You as Christians have to invite the Holy Spirit to give you the discernment to be able to see what are the important things that we need to hold on to and learn from in the Old Testament scriptures and how do we marry them, how do we consolidate them, how do we bring them together so that as we're walking with Jesus, we walk with two feet. Yes, most, most people. We walk with, with right and left, both the Old and the New Testament. We walk together. And when we do that, we're able to understand the ministry of Jesus. We're, under, we're able to understand his teaching. And we're able to understand that there is order in the church. There is discipline in the church. And there's grace in the church. There's discipline, and then there's forgiveness. And we need both. Amen? So if you would bow your heads with me, we're going to start with the word of prayer, and then we're going to teach through the scriptures verse by verse. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. I stand, Lord God, in this pulpit, humble that I am even able to bring the word of God. I know I am not worthy of bringing the word of God. But Lord Jesus, you have graciously allowed me, Father God, to be a spokesperson on behalf of our people. Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing me to represent the pews here in the pulpit. These are my brothers and sisters. Lord Jesus, just as you are our brother, you're our big brother, and you're our father. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd open our minds, that you'd open our hearts, and that you'd open our spiritual eyes, that we might see beautiful things in your word today. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, come on, do like we always do and give God a hand of praise today. Give God a hand of praise. Thank him because he's worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 11, let us begin in verse 37. Your Bible may have a subtitle there called Six Woes. I think we have some young ladies here in our church that are a part of a ministry called Woe. Women of Encouragement? All right. Love it. I think I see Sister Jenny, Ruth. Is there anybody else from Woe? Well, give our love to the rest. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in. And he reclined at the table. Pause there for a moment. We see now here that Jesus is given this invitation by somebody who was trying to figure out Jesus. Jesus was invited to sit down and eat and share a meal with somebody that was probably a part of circles of criticism 
looking at Jesus' life and trying to discredit everything that Jesus was doing. They were trying to discredit everything that Jesus was doing, what he was teaching, even the miracles that he was performing. They were actually trying to catch him in traps for healing people on the Sabbath, saying that no work could be done on the Sabbath day because it's a day of rest, where Jesus quickly turned that upside down, turned it on its head and said, oh yeah? Well, if you actually knew the heart of Father God, you would know that Father's business is to heal anybody who's in need of healing no matter what day it is. So we see that the Pharisees were a very legalistic group. And Jesus was going to have a meal with this Pharisee, this teacher of the law, this religious leader. And it says that he went in and reclined at the table with him. Now Jesus being a guest would have normally been expected to follow all of the, the, the customs. You know, sometimes you go to someone's home and, and you enter the door, you look around and you see shoes that are perfectly or nicely laid out next to the door. What does that mean you should probably do? Take your shoes off or ask, should I take my shoes off? And the owner of the home will tell you what? Either yes, please, would, would, would you mind taking your shoes off? That's our custom here in our home. As you can see, we have a lovely white carpet. <laughs> no. I'm kidding. And others, just like the other day, I went to visit a family from our church, visited their home and whose mother who, who is ill. And um, I entered, and the house was, wow, wonderfully kept. And I said, should I take my shoes off? And she, she says, no, don't worry. Come on in, Pastor. Have a seat. And we enjoyed a wonderful little Friday afternoon lunch with a little bowl of fruit and had a great conversation. Well, Jesus was there and he was a guest. But the Pharisee, verse, 20, verse 38, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal was surprised. Because it was part of the Jewish custom of the religious law. You guys, you need to understand that in those days, this Jewish, this religious law was for the Jews higher than the Roman law. For them, it was the thing. It was way up here. And that's, that was Jesus' problem. Some people were calling Jesus a blasphemer, a heretic, that he was coming against the law of God, the law of Moses, and that's why they wanted to kill him. That's, that's the kind of um, mindset that the Pharisees or the Jews had. And so they see that Jesus comes in and he doesn't go into the ceremonial cleansing to wash his feet, his hands, or his face. That would have been customary to entering into a Jewish home before you sit down and enjoy a meal. And it's a part of the law of Moses in the Old Testament Bible. And it says that the Pharisee was surprised when he saw this. Verse 39, then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean 
for you. Jesus starts out, he's a guest of honor, and immediately he offends the guests, or excuse me, the, the, the owner of the home of which he is a guest. Have you ever gone into a home and dishonored someone's home? I remember a couple of moments when I was a teenager. I regret those moments. And I won't repeat what I did. In some customs or cultures, if you don't eat the food that's put on the plate in front of you, that's considered dishonorable or disrespect. And so whether you like it or not, there's an eyeball that's looking up at you, you eat it. With a lot of, and you drink it with a lot of water. Or soda's better. Jesus blatantly disrespects the owner of this home, the one who invited Jesus to this meal. Because Jesus saw in his body language how uncomfortable and how he began to look at Jesus. Without even having to say anything, Jesus could read the thoughts that were racing through this man's mind. You ever had a situation like that? What's your problem? What do you mean what's my problem? I didn't say anything. Yeah, but look how you're looking at me. If you got a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. And it goes both ways. The teenagers are thinking the same thing about their parents. And the parents are thinking the same thing about their teenagers. Can I get an amen? amen. Or you go into a place, you know, you might be the kind of person that's just happy-go-lucky. You're just, the glass is always half full. And you don't recognize that the people are actually giving you dirty looks. But your spouse elbows you and say, are you seeing the way these people are looking at us? And you're kind of oblivious to it. And you're like, no, I'm just because you're just gregarious and high. And you're always just so optimistic and positive and hugging everybody. But sometimes there's folks that are actually mean to do harm to you. Jesus sees this in this Pharisee who's already judging and criticizing Jesus in his mind and in his heart because of where he comes from and because of the issues that they've been hearing and knowing about Jesus all along. So Jesus, was in, 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 in their eyes, was already treading on thin ice. Jesus was already living up to, um, you know, a kind of expectation by virtue of this Pharisee bringing him in to try and you get a closer look. Maybe ask some hard questions and see what Jesus says. And Jesus starts off by saying, you would do well by taking what is on the inside and giving it to the poor. Because the poor are less likely to sit around and judge, criticize, right? Anybody. But other people that think too highly of themselves don't have the same issues, problems. They maybe have not been at the bottom of the barrel. Maybe they've, they've never experienced a challenging moment in their life. And so it's very easy to look down on people when you're in that position. But if you've ever gone through a trial, if you've ever gone through a difficult moment, if you've ever gone through a sickness, you don't ever go to the hospital the same. If you've ever gone through a situation in life, you'll never look at others who go through that situation the same way, will you? 
God is calling us to be washed and clean from the inside out. First Samuel 16, 7 says, God does, not, God does not see what humans see. Humans look at the outward appearances, but the Lord looks into the heart. And that was when Samuel chose David, the smallest of the sons, the ruddiest, the one out there in the fields. At that moment, he was the stinkiest because he had been living with the sheep. But he was anointed to be the next king of Israel because of what was in his heart. So let's now turn to the first woe. Verse 42. Woe to you Pharisees, Jesus says, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Here we see in the first woe, Jesus is speaking directly to legalism. And he says, obedience is better than sacrifice. He says, you, you, you follow the law of giving your tithes to the tenth, to the teeth. All the way even to your herbs, you give your tenth. And you have everything properly measured and set aside to give what belongs to God to God. And Jesus said, you've been focusing so much on doing that that you haven't actually been doing what is actually on God's heart, which is to do right by people and to love one another. You're spending so much time trying to calculate the law of Moses to the T with your head down that your eyes are not up seeing the person who is there to your left that he wants you to go and help up and clean off and feed and care for. In other words, Jesus is highlighting the prophetic or the word from the prophets in the Old Testament. And Jesus underlines and underscores this, the significance or the importance of, of love and justice, which are principles that Jesus wants to give here in this new era, this time of the church that Jesus is preparing us for. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, you should pay more attention to love and justice? He says, and don't neglect giving your tithes. Did you notice that? Jesus is not saying you need to do one or the other or you need to do one instead of the other. Jesus is saying you have to have balanced scales. We as Christians have to pay attention to both the law, the Ten Commandments, and what Jesus is teaching us in his new covenant, his new commandments, which is to love God and to love our brothers as ourselves. Amen? Okay. We see that. It's wonderful. Do both without neglecting the other. I think Jesus was trying to get them to see, hey, not everything that you guys do is bad. But you need to start focusing in on what is very, very important, and that is the love of God. Let's go to woe number two. Verse 43. It says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats 
in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Let's pause there. This is good, isn't it? Here Jesus is speaking to leaders of the, the religious movement. And here we are reading it today. And this isn't just for leaders. This is for all of us. That we don't treat others better than anybody else. That we don't go looking for the best seat in a place until you're invited to come and have, take that seat. Okay? Um, and I want to thank our scholarly committee this week. We spent some time studying the scriptures, and we, we have been for the last couple of months, um, looking into the Word of God, dissecting it, praying over it, discussing it, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful treat to be a part of that great fellowship. So I want to thank our team for all the time and energy that you've um, been putting into preparing God's Word for Sunday morning. Let's give them a great big round of applause, you guys. And some of the next few sayings that you're going to hear me offer are sayings that have come from some of our team members. So I can't take credit for all of them. One of them um, was this. If we're not careful, in the body of Christ, especially in the church, we will be looking for positional perks without the works. We want to come into a situation because of who you are, because of how long you've known the Lord, or maybe we have some kind of spiritual pride because of some spiritual gift that God has given to us. And we may be thinking and expecting people to treat us a certain way because of it. Amen. Normally for new Christians, that's not the case. It's normally for people that have known God for a long time and have been a part of the church that may fall pray or fall victim to this kind of behavior. So this is a reminder to all of us. That's why I love that the scripture is going to highlight some things that we all need to pray, we need to think about, and we need to do some soul searching. Um, if there's anything that stands out for us, we're not going to sit here and point the finger, put a magnifying glass on anyone. And if anybody comes to mind as we're going through these six woes, rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here's another one. One of, the, one of our team members said, when it comes to this woe of not coming to try and find the best seat in the house, is this. You want the position without the disposition. Just like in any organization, people try to move up, but they don't want to pay their dues. And here... People wanting to serve in a particular position or serve in ministry or become a ministry leader or a pastor, the name of pastor, or some other kind of religious or biblical name to somehow give ourselves some kind of false pride or honor is worthless. Amen. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. We're all called to serve one another. We're all called to break bread with one another. We're all called to pull up a chair with anybody, a homeless person, even our family member who doesn't like us at the party. Go sit next to them and pour out the love of Jesus on them, not thinking that you're better than them because they're all 
you know what? I was going to throw some street terms on there, but I, I'm going to keep it uh, rated G. We got to talk the talk and walk the walk. And be careful that we're not selfishly motivated by what we stand to gain. Because it will eventually prove that we have, we've, we have had wrong motives from the beginning. And in the body of Christ, Jesus clearly reestablishes his priority systems in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. If anybody is looking for a right hand or a left hand seat at the throne of the Father, guess what? You're looking for the wrong thing. We're looking for the wrong thing. And we're focusing on the wrong thing as Christians. In the church, we could get, you know, carried away with this if we're not careful. Seeing people come to the pulpit, people talk, people sing, people preach, people pray. Maybe even the thought of, oh man, I wish I was a little bit more like that person. Or, oh man, if my husband was a little bit more like that guy. Oh, if my wife was a little bit more like that. And guess what? The Lord is making sure that we keep our hearts pure and that we keep our minds and our eyes focused on the right thing, which is the main thing, and that is Jesus. To serve in any capacity is an honor, and you are expected to be the most humble. Yesterday, our men's ministry, we were reading through John 13. Does anybody know what pericope is in John 13? Any, which story? Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Our men's ministry, in that office over there, the brothers got down on their knees and washed one another's feet. And for some brothers, it was harder to, to allow other brothers to wash their feet than it was for him to wash someone's feet. And there were a couple brothers that were not able to participate in the whole ceremonial foot washing, and that's okay too. Because we're not in there keeping track or keeping score. Amen? Amen. James 2, verses 1 through 4 says this. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Might we be followers of Jesus and obedient to the word that he's giving to us? Let's go to woe number three. 
Verse 44 of chapter 11 of Luke. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. That one was kind of fun, and it was hard at the same time to try and figure out what it meant. But this is what we believe Jesus was saying. He was saying, you appear alive on the outside, but you are really dead on the inside. According to Numbers 19, verse 16, if anybody touched a dead body or anybody who was dead, you would have been declared unclean for seven days, and then you'd have to go through the ceremonial cleansing to be washed from having had contact with that dead body. In the same way, an unmarked grave um, would have been putting somebody um, at risk of coming in contact with a dead body because there was no tombstone to avoid where the dead body was placed or marked. And so we see that Jesus continues to pull from Old Testament principles to teach these New Testament truths that he wants his followers to understand. Amen? They're, these are these spiritual lessons that we as Christians have to pay attention to. And we have to be able to understand the word of God so, so that we can apply it to our lives and see what God is trying to teach us. Thank the Lord for our Savior. In other words, he's saying our hearts need to be cleansed. Our hearts need to be cleansed more than the outside. Amen. Woe for, verse 46. I'll read, I'll read verse 45 to bring us there. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult all of us. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Some people misinterpret this passage. And they think that because of this burden of heaping guilt upon people because of the way they're living or because of their lifestyles, that we as the church are, are simply supposed to keep our mouths shut and not say anything at all because of this passage. You heap so much burden upon people and they can't carry it. And that's like saying, hey, here's all the sin of the world and all of you fall into different categories. Now go back out of these doors and feel bad and experience shame and experience guilt because none of us will ever be perfect. That's not what this is about. We need to talk about sin. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction in our lives. And Jesus is explaining here, if you're willing to share with people where they have gone wrong, or where they have turned left instead of right, then you also need to take the time to walk with them through those moments of discovering or of learning about those areas of life that they may need help. Look what it says. I'm not making that up. He says, Jesus says, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger 
to help them. You see what the scripture is saying? In other words, what that says to me is, Pastor, you can't be afraid to teach and preach the word of God. I know I'm not perfect. I know I have faults. I know I am a sinner. But I'm not going to sit here and preach a, a lopsided gospel or a gospel that only points out all the, the positives and all the great things and just aims at making people feel good about themselves. The word of God is meant to bring our hearts closer to the heart of God. The word of God is meant to bring our minds closer to God's mind so that we can know and we can see and we can live the way the Lord wants us to live. I had a high school coach one time, and he used to yell at the top of his lungs and cuss at pitchers when they would throw balls and pitch wildly. And he would stomp to the mound, and he would berate guys because they weren't able to pitch well. And they would struggle, and he would yell, 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 yell. But I never saw that, that coach take the pitcher during the week and say, the reason why you're struggling is because you're doing this, and you need to do more of this. You need to make this adjustment. And I think that's what it's saying right here, that we, as the people of God, we're going to walk through life, and we're going to experience times when there's going to be challenging moments for people around us, whether they're living in sin, whether they're walking in sin, whether they're just going through a, a difficult time. We're not going to kick them while they're down. Oh, yeah, and by the way, no. Scripture's telling us it's time to pastor them through it. It's time for a, a, a mature Christian to counsel your friends and your family through that challenging or that difficult moment and not just leave them there suffering, hemorrhaging spiritually because they've just realized how much of a sinner they are or how they've been living. No, that's when we're there at their side, praying with them, walking with them, lifting them up, encouraging them. And leading them through the scriptures, just as the good shepherd leads his people through green pastures and streams of water. We care for one another. As the sheep of his pasture, we look out for one another. Amen? Amen. We got to be there for each other, in the church especially. Woe number five, verse 47. Woe to you. Jesus wasn't done. <laughs> Woo, man. All right, everybody, stand up real quick. Stand up. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Let it, breathe it in. Let it out. Jesus is letting us have it. Somebody say he's letting us have it. All right, you can, you can, you, you can sit back down again. <laughs> Praise the Lord. If you're watching from home, we wish you were here. This is great. Ah, oh, man. 47 says, Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you, you built their tombs still. Because of this, 
God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles. Some of them they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been on, on the prophets and shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. May the Lord have mercy on us. And basically what this woe is telling us is this. We have to learn from the mistakes of those that have gone on before us. We have to be careful to, to try and not make the same mistakes that our fathers in the faith, our mothers in the faith, or people before us made before us. And that speaks to us as the church. We, the church of, of Jesus Christ, the church here in the United States of America, you guys, we have to get on our knees and we have to ask the Lord, where have we gone wrong? And where do we need to make some adjustments? Where do we need to make some cor corrections? And we have to be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit so that we're not proud, so that we're not arrogant, so that we're not puffed up. The only way that God is going to continue to reach the lost and the broken in our world and in our communities is if our hearts are softened by the blood of Jesus and being reminded of the fact that Jesus gave his life for us. It should bring a great disposition of gratitude and thanksgiving and above all, humility. I walked into our children's ministry wing on Wednesday night to show some new families around at the children's ministry. And lo and behold, three of our teachers and directors from our preschool were in one of the classrooms crying and praying and seeking the Lord, praying for our children, praying for our families. And as those families were being shown around our beautiful campus, our beautiful church, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, I'm answering their prayers. And that's why these new, new beautiful families are here. Because I'm entrusting this next generation into your hands. You're being faithful with the little and I will continue to do much. Guys, God's calling us to be faithful. And if, as we continue to demonstrate our faithfulness to him and our obedience... The Lord will continue to do great and mighty things here amongst us. And the final woe. Remember, what was it, Joey? Whoa. If you don't know what, I, what I'm talking about, that's. Verse 52. Woe to you experts in the law because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something that he might say. Well, he, he done already said it. 
And this last woe, woe, woe number six, he's saying, those of us who are Christians, call ourselves Christians, he's saying, we think we know, but we really know nothing. Amen. And that just demonstrates to us the, the humility that we have to have. That there's still so much to know. You never fully know. You never fully understand. You never fully comprehend. Because God is so much higher than we are. Scripture says, as high as the heavens are from the earth, so is our God higher than us. In the same way, his thoughts are higher than us. And his ways are above our ways. Guys, we'll never be able to be perfect. And the purpose of this passage is not to try and Expect perfection out of each and every one of us. Not even the best person in here who strung a couple of good hours or days together even. Scripture reminds us that even on our best day, we are still as filthy rags unto God. I'm going to invite us all to stand to our feet as we prepare to close. And How many of you just want to thank the Lord for his word today? Got to thank him for his word, his unadulterated word of God that puts us all in our place. It should, it should bring conviction to all of our hearts. Should cause us to walk more closely with him, walk in greater obedience with him. And when we fall, be quick to ask for help. And when somebody falls, be quick to help them up. Because when you fall, there's going to be somebody there to pick you up. Amen? Let's just five minutes, no more. The time of Lent, the season of Lent is a time where believers reflect on the areas of their lives that where we indulge a little too much this hard scripture and this passage that was selected by Mike Browder was meant to bring us into a time of repentance it's meant to bring us into a time of conviction and that's when the Holy Spirit moves conviction is important because that's when it brings people to salvation because it causes us to remember and to know that we can't save ourselves but we're in desperate need of a savior we're in need of salvation we're in need of having our sins forgiven, our sins dealt with. There's nothing that we can do in terms of deeds or works that could ever address them. But it's only by the blood of Jesus that, that he paid for your sins and mine that we might have eternal life, that we might be made right with him. So let's just go to the Lord right now and just begin to pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word that chastises us, disciplines us. Your word is a reminder, a constant reminder, Lord, of 
how awesome you are, how wonderful you are. And Lord Jesus, you always pointed to the Father. You were quick to also point out to people around you how their hearts were far from God and they were focusing on the wrong things rather than the heart of God. I believe you're teaching us discernment as the people of God to understand the both and, to understand the marriage between the Old and the New Testament, to understand, Lord Jesus, both wrath and grace, to understand, Father God, what it is to know what death is, but also to be able to experience life and life abundantly through you. So, Father, we leave from this place probably more humbled than when we came, but hopefully encouraged. Hopefully encouraged, Father God, because in all of this, we see, Lord Jesus, that all we have to do is keep our eyes on you. That's all we got to do is keep our eyes on Jesus. If there's anybody here today that wants to bring your heart into alignment with God and, and his word, and your spirit is resonating with this word that was taught today, just talk to God right now, right there where you are. Just invite the Holy Spirit to come into your heart right there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.